0: Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Today, I want to talk to you about loving differently. We're going to love differently. Somebody say love. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of a story of a college girl. She was in a chemistry class and she was struggling in chemistry. Did anybody struggle in chemistry? Oh, yes. Just the name, it kind of brings chills. It brings, some of you having PTSD right now. She was in college and struggling through her chemistry class and about to drop out, and her parents tried to encourage her, no, you need the credit hours, hang in there, hang in there, don't give up. What if you get a tutor? And so she did. She said, well, before I I drop the class, let me get tutored, and so, the, the grad assistant became her tutor, and she began to meet with him three times a week. we got to get chemistry. We've we got to figure this thing out. Well, she found that she really enjoyed going to tutoring because this young man was good-looking. Now, he was pleasing to the eye, so she found a little motivation in chemistry, Pretty soon her grades started to pick up, and man, you know, she she started to understand the concepts. It wasn't as challenging as it had been before because her, her motivation had changed. Not long after that, she had the highest grade in the class. Well, the semester was about to come to an end, and the grad assistant, her tutor, told her, he said, Listen, I, I gotta reveal something to you. Don't tell this out. But the book, the chemistry book that we're studying from. I know it has the professor's name on it, but I did all the research for that book. I'm really the author of the book that we've been studying. Now The lesson is this. When you fall in love with the author… You know where I'm going with this, don't you? It makes living and learning what's in the book a whole lot better. You see, sometimes we treat this book… Oh, well, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Sometimes we treat this book like chemistry. It's just so foreign. I could never grasp it. I could I could never understand it. It's just so difficult. I mean, it's a big book. It's got a lot of stuff in there from Genesis to Revelation. I, I don't know it that well, and so we kind of stay away from it, and we think that we don't have the competence or the, the discipline or even the intelligence when God says, if you'll just fall in love with the author… God wrote this thing, and he didn't write it to confuse you. He he wrote it to direct you, to protect you. Can I have a good amen? And so my prayer for us, if we're going to love differently, that we would fall in love with the author who has told us how we can make a difference. Can you say amen? amen? There's probably no greater chapter on love than 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, let me give you just a little context before we dive into 1 Corinthians 13. Mark your, mark your Bibles in, in chapter 13, but then we're going to scroll back to chapter 6 here just to give us a little bit of context. The city of Corinth was a densely populated community. If you wanted to trade by land or by sea, you had to travel through this community. So it was highly populated, and there was a lot of business, a lot of commerce. There was a lot of wealth in Corinth. But history tells us that Corinth was also a sex-crazed city. I mean, it was immoral. It was wild. It was out of control. Historians tell us that every night, a thousand temple prostitutes from the temple of Aphrodite would descend the mountain and go into the city of Corinth. I mean, imagine the culture of that community. In fact, the city was so wicked that during the Roman Empire, the Romans coined the phrase Corinthianize. If you were to Corinthianize, that means to live without any moral boundaries. It was a place of anything goes. It was a culture that says, if it feels good, do it. And yet, God spoke to the Apostle Paul and said, I want you to plant a church right in the midst of that darkness. I love that. You know what? God will call us to dark places and dark spaces so that we can shine the light of his love. Can I have a good amen? So, in this this city, this densely populated city, full of, of sexual immorality and perversion a church is birthed and revival breaks out in this church. I mean people are getting saved. People are stepping out of darkness and they're walking in the light. The church is just booming now with spiritual gifts. There's prophetic gifts, there's visions, there's 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 tongues and interpretation, there's words of knowledge, all kinds of gifts that are in this church. But one thing was de- desperately missing. They weren't walking in love. Now, notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 6. This will give you a little picture of the context in which Paul, who had planted this church, is speaking. He's saying this, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. How many of you know we all have a propensity to fool ourselves? Sometimes we think we're fooling other people. But I think sometimes other people are smarter than what we give them credit for. He says, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, those who commit adultery or are male prostitutes, those who practice homosexuality or are thieves, greedy people, drunkards or abusive or those that cheat people, he says, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's quite a list. Then he says this in verse 11, some of you were once like that, but you were now cleansed. You are made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Can I have a good amen? amen. Notice Paul describes what's happening in the city. Here's kind of the culture and what's normal in this community. But the church is birthed, and God calls people out of darkness into light. Paul's talking about you once were like this, but now you are this, and you will be who God called and created you to be in the future. You see, the grace of God reaches you right where you are. Can I have a good amen? But you know what, God is so good that the grace of God meets us right where we are, but it never leaves us where it finds us. Don't you love that about God? That he can bring radical transformation from what you were to who you are now, and one day who you will be. Oh, I love it. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is all about love. This church was doing a great work but they didn't get this love thing quite right. And so Paul writes in this letter, if you fast forward now to chapter 13, here is the famous love chapter. First Corinthians 13, starting with verse four. Paul says this, so I'm gonna tell you what love is. Let me make sure we get love right. Love is patient. <laughs> we can just kind of close the book right there. And, all repent and come to the altar. Here's what love is love is patient and love is kind. Love is not jealous, it's not boastful or proud, it's not even rude. Love does not demand its own way. In other words, love's not selfish. How I many know you can't walk in love and be self centered? There's something sacrificial about love. He goes on to say this love is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Two verses are already chopping me to pieces. Anybody else feeling that? Have you when was the last time you heard 1 Corinthians 13? Where do we hear this most of the time? Yeah, at weddings. You know, rarely do we hear 1 Corinthians 13 preached from the pulpit. When I hear love is patient, love is kind, I'm looking up thinking, well, somebody's getting married. We think that Paul wrote this for a wedding ceremony, but that's not the truth. The context of 1 Corinthians 13 is not for a couple that's about to get married, but Paul's writing this to rebuke the church. It's a stern rebuke saying, hey, you guys are missing the mark. You don't know what love is. You can't love like the world and expect to produce change. Now, the world will give you a bunch of different definitions of love. We'll talk about that in just a second. But how many know the world is clueless? Culture can't figure out what love is. And yet God, who is love, said love is patient. Love is kind. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, love is tough stuff. It's just hard. It's difficult. And for those of you that think loving is easy, you're not doing it right. (laughs) Love is tough stuff. What Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13, he's using the Greek word agape. Somebody say agape. Now, Have you heard that before? Agape. It's, it's different. It's not, he's not necessarily talking about romantic love or familial love or friendship love. He's Not brotherly love. He's talking about the God kind of love. There's an unconditional love that the world knows nothing of. You see, the world defines love as conditional. I will love you if… Some of you have been in relationships that love was based on certain conditions. How many of you know you are always looking over your shoulder, struggling, wondering whether or not this thing's going to last if love is conditional? It's just, when will it run out? Will, Will love change when my behavior changes? If I don't earn it, if I don't deserve it, are you going to change how you feel about me? Paul says here, agape is simply an unconditional love. It's basically what my dad would tell me all the time. He'd tell us as kids growing up, he'd say, son... I love you, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. And that frustrated me as a kid growing up. Well, bless God, I'm going to do something about it. No, you can't. You are helpless. You are at my mercy because nothing you can say or do will ever change my love for you. You see, that's the God kind of love. Some of you have never experienced that. Some of you have a hard time connecting that to God because you've never seen it in your family. You've never been in a relationship like that that was so freeing that regardless of of what you had said or what you had done or how you had performed, that love for you was steady and solid and stable. When you come to HPC, We want you to be met with the agape of God's love. When you drive up onto this campus, we want you to sense something different. When you walk into these doors from the street to the seat, man, when you're checking kids in, man, when you're at the cafe, or man, you're being greeted by someone, when you're being seated by someone in worship and in in the Word, we want you to feel the unconditional, almighty love of God. Bible says love is patient. Somebody say patient. It is where it gets tough. You know what patience is? It's not simply waiting, but it's how we act while we wait. Come on now. Come on. Love is not just waiting, but love is how you act and why you wait. Have you ever discovered that God is not in a hurry? How many of you learned that about God? It's tough to love people in a hurry. You're going to have to slow down to love people. Being patient with people. One of the greatest ways that you can show love to others is to be patient with them. I'm, t- I'm talking to somebody right now. How many of you have somebody in your life that's difficult to love? Now, don't be pointing anybody in here, all right? Don't. Can you think of somebody in your life that's hard to love? If you can't think of anybody in your life that's difficult to love, you may be the difficult person. Somebody say, "Patient." If I love you, I'm going to be patient with you. Let me ask you. Let's let's get this very practical. When someone is driving slow in the fast lane. Some of you need to put this in practice when you leave church today. What about the person who pulls out in front of you? Wait, Pastor. Wait, wait, wait just a minute now. I thought love was sweet and sappy and and sing-song-clappy and romantic and ooh, bubbly. No. Love is the tough stuff. They pull out in front of you, and you're like, Wah! what are you doing? Didn't you say, and then you try to round them as fast as you can, and you pull up beside them because you want to make eye contact. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. Have you ever accidentally pulled out in, somebody, in front of somebody? Oh, you haven't? So everybody else is the jerk except for you, right? You ever accidentally pull out in front of somebody and then they kind of blow their horn and they're telling you you're number one and all that stuff and you're like, dude, I'm sorry. I didn't see you. Have a little patience with me. Oh yeah, you see where I'm going with this. Can you be patient when you let somebody in and they don't give you the friendly wave? I would say, there you go, go ahead. And they pull on up in that space and acting like they own it. And you're like, hey. Give me the friendly wave. Hey, Ah! Uh, uh. I let you into that space. Am I preaching where we live? Somebody say patience. See, love is tough. Can you be patient when somebody's opinion is different than yours? Somebody has a different political opinion than you do. Pastor, why you got to go there? Can you be patient with somebody who's obnoxious? Can you be patient when they leave the dirty dishes in the sink? When you know they're wrong, but they insist that they're right, can you be patient with them? Can you be patient when you've been put on hold for 30 minutes and you're just trying to get technical support from a problem that you're trying to solve and they put you on hold for 30 minutes? Can you be patient? Can you be patient when you text someone and they don't text you back? Then you create in your mind a narrative of what's happening. Bless God. Can you be patient when they tell you the same story for the third time after you've mentioned, you've already told me that? (laughs) Can you be patient when you're in a group text with 30 people and everyone has to respond to that group text? (laughs) Pastor Mike has just left the group. see, listen, I can be patient with others when I realize how patient God has been with me. You know what God's mercy is? His patience through your development. Guess what the truth is? You are being developed. Now, now you, you may not be where you want to be, but thank God you're not where you used to be. You're a work in progress. My mom used to sing us this song. In fact, we learned it in Sunday school. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. Truth is, God's working on you, and he's working on the people that you work with. And you know what? He's asking you to be patient with them just as he has been patient with you. Love is kind. Come on, somebody say, kind. We'll never be a healing place for a hurting world without kindness. I pray that you sense a spirit of kindness when you come into this house, because hurting people hurt people. I know if you're going to be a healing place for a hurting world, there's a lot of brokenness in the house. And so, you know what? You got to be gentle with people. Sometimes those that lash out are lashing out because there's a wound that hasn't been healed. Hear me. I'm going to tell you something that'll help you if you're ministering in brokenness, which is what we do. It's, what we, it's, it's ministry. It's caring for those who are hurting. Where there's heat, there's hurt. Sometimes somebody will lash out in anger. Uh, don't get offended by their anger. Just know that the root of the issue is pain that has yet to be healed. So if we're going to walk in the God kind of love, we've got to be patient with people. We've got to be kind to people. People are at all different kinds of places. And the Bible says love keeps no record of wrong. Come on now. Man, I'm not even to the meat of this message yet. We're two or three words into 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and man, I'm getting carved up. Records ruin relationships. Let me say that again. Records ruin relationships. If you're keeping score... You're not going to have a healthy, life-giving relationship. You know what forgiveness is? Somebody canceled the record. When you wronged them, they forgave you. The Bible says love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Proverbs seventeen nine. That was not in the notes. But love prospers when a fault is forgiven. My sister told me the other day. She said, Mike. Um, We're talking about my dad. My my dad lives in Galveston. He's 76 years old. He works at Whataburger, and he is the life of the party. Now, my dad tells me this. He says, son, the older I get, the less I remember. He says it like this. He says, my forgettery is better than my memory. I mean, for real. He's just forgetting the stuff a lot. Well, my sister called me. She said, Mike, did you know that, that dad recently got into a fight with the French fry guy? At Whataburger. I'm like, oh, Lord. I mean, you don't want to mess with the fry guy. You want to be good with the fry guy, man. The French fries are important, and apparently they had an altercation. She said it got heated. You know, my dad, when, when he gets angry, the decibels increase. He gets loud. He doesn't speak in half tones, like Dan Seaborn was challenging us at marriage night. speaking half tones. So I, I called my dad the next day. I'm like, hey, Dad, how, how is everything? Oh, it's great. That's, how's work? Fantastic. It's like, really? So, well, is anything you need to tell me? Any episode happened at work? No, no. How are the French fries at at, at Whataburger? I love them. (laughs) Okay, dude, I got to come clean. Sarah told me that you got in a fight with the French fry guy. He's like, I did. (laughs) Didn't even remember it. I was like, you know what? That is how forgiveness works. Sometimes we forget the things we're supposed to remember, and we remember the things we should forget. Love keeps no record of wrong. How many of you are glad that when you asked Jesus into your life, he canceled the record of your sin? Number one, love is tough stuff. Oh, my goodness, I'm running out of time. Number two, we may just get two points. I got three, and... It's going to mess up some of you who see the blanks in front of you. and <laughs> Look at what it says. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Somebody say truth. L- l- let me drill down on this for a moment. Number two, love and truth work together. This is important. This is important because the modern church needs to hear this. How many of you appreciate friends who tell you the truth? How many of you appreciate a pastor who tells you the truth? How many expect that from your shepherds, your spiritual leaders? Not necessarily tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear. Come on, somebody say truth. Here's a big question. Who is defining truth for you? What is your standard of truth? Who gets to tell you what's right and what's wrong? Does Hollywood, does culture, does government, does social media, does past experiences, do my feelings get to tell me what's right and what's wrong? You see, my concern is this. We live in an age where truth to most people is relative. Whatever's true, hey, you got your truth. I got my truth, can I tell you this? All truth is God's truth. There is no such thing as your truth or my truth. We've got perspectives. We have different thoughts, but you know what? There has to be a standard of truth. My concern is that when it comes to love, some people want to put love and truth in separate corners. And and I want to spend my time in the corner of love because love makes me feel good. But truth, I'm going to separate it and put it over in this corner because sometimes truth hurts my feelings. Are you with me? and, 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 And we live in a day where we'll separate love and truth, but I want you to know that love and truth are inseparable. You can't truly love if you're not walking in truth. And if you're going to walk in truth, it has to be accompanied with love. Well, love makes me feel good, but truth, I'm not so sure. Can I tell you this? Lies create bondage, but the truth sets people free. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, now, now here's, the, the, I thought about this even this morning. Does your God ever disagree with you? Does God ever disagree with you? How many of you have ever been in your relationship with the Lord and God has disagreed with you? If your God never disagrees with you, you might not be serving God. You may be just serving an idealized version of yourself. Well, wait a second. Mike, I thought you said that God is love. Yes, he is love, but he's not love apart from truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So here we have this marriage of love and truth. Let me ask you this. If I'm living in error and nobody preaches to me the truth of God's word, then how will I come under conviction and repent of my sin? See, love and truth, they go together. Jesus is the embodiment of love and truth. He is the perfect picture of both. John 1.14, the Scripture says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Somebody say grace. Say truth. Jesus is the embodiment of both love and truth. And as believers, we have to express love in truth, and truth In love remember in in the gospel of John John chapter 8 remember the woman caught in adultery how many members that why do we call this the story of the woman caught in adultery I think we ought to call it the men caught in hypocrisy framing matters okay words matter this is known as the woman caught in adultery but really the Pharisees were exposed for their hypocrisy the Bible says that they, they caught her in the very act and they threw her at the feet of Jesus. Here she was. I mean, she was guilty. It was obvious. The evidence was against her. And they said, Jesus, the law of Moses says anyone who's caught in adultery must be stoned to death. What do you say? You know, it's interesting. They were so adamant about the law of Moses, they must have skipped the part that says, that the guy that's in the act of adultery has to be brought before as well. Amazing how we like to pick and choose parts of the scriptures to suit our agenda. She's guilty. The law says to stone her. What do you say? You know what Jesus did? Just kind of drawing in the sand. I mean, this moment is hanging in the balance and there they are with stones in hand. And he says what? You know what? You're right. The law says to stone her. Let, let let stone her. But you that are without sin, you throw the first one. You know in the Greek, it's actually translated you that are without this sin. oh. <laughs> So the Scripture says, from the oldest Pharisee down to the youngest, they laid their stones down and they walked away. And what do you do with this woman? What do you do with her? She's guilty. It's it's true. The law of Moses said to stone. How does Jesus handle this woman? He handles her with love and truth. What does he say? He says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, I have none, Lord. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. What is that? That's love. I'm not bringing condemnation. I love you. But then he also spoke truth. He said, go and sin no more. Notice it's love and truth. He called what she was doing sin man this is not the expression of love that i've required that i've desired for you so i'm not bringing condemnation do you know what that is that's love expressed this is a handout that says compassion i've got compassion for you i'm not going to kick you while you're down but then there's a hand up that says go and sin no more let's change our ways and i'll give you the power to do it you see the problem is we either want to be both hands out are both hands up. Both hands up is like, wait a second, no, 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 no. You're not welcome here. Wicked, evil, sinful. You can't come here unless you clean yourself up. But then both hands out says, hey, it's all good. Whatever. Whatever's good for you is good for me. Free for all. And God says, no, no. It's love and it's truth. And as a church, we have to manage that tension better. we got some churches that just want to condemn people for being in sexual sin. Just condemn them. Ridicule them. Man, your your terrible lifestyle is is causing you to, to, to miss heaven, and we want nothing to do with you. And God's saying, wait a second. Jesus is coming down on a cross. Watch this. The cross is the perfect picture of love and truth. The cross is. Love is... God coming down. And truth is, God having to die because our sins create a penalty. Somebody has to pay the price. And what was intended to be on you and me, Jesus said, I'll take on myself. God was gonna judge sin. So Jesus said, I'll take it up on myself. And instead of the wrath of God being on sinful man, The wrath of God rested upon Jesus, and Jesus died and suffered in his body so that you and I, we deserve justice, but we've received mercy. And so now what do we do? What is our response to that? Well, Lord, I want to walk in truth. What is it that's pleasing to you? Let me do that. And God, I'm going to operate in love because I'm going to be patient with those who are still coming along in their understanding, in their growth, in their development. Are you catching this? Is this helping anybody? You know what? I I can't believe it. I am out of time. i want to ask the band to come up. Ask the band to come up. You want me to keep going? Y'all really want me to keep going? Five more minutes. Anybody give me five more minutes? 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 30. I got an hour and a half. Let me, let me, okay, let me give you this verse. Let me give you this Ephesians 5.10. Ephesians 5.10. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. This is important because as followers of Christ, we want to do what pleases him. So when it comes to love, we don't buy the definition of the world. Culture will lie to you. Social media will lie. It only produces more brokenness and more pain. But Jesus said, love in truth. Guess what? Truth sets you free from the bondages of of the deception and lies of this world. And love's going to heal you back into a place of health. So what do we do? We determine what pleases the Lord carefully. Guess what? Uh, Guys, I don't always get it right. I don't. Truth is, you don't either. (laughs) You know what? That's why we say every Sunday, I'm not perfect. That's not a license to sin and live all crazy. I'm not trying to lower the bar of holiness when I say that. I'm trying to bring awareness that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm not perfect, but I serve the one who is. Why do we say that? Because we're trying to keep our eyes on the one. Lord, what is it that's pleasing to you? So I have to ask myself in my finances, God, what pleases you? I want to be a giver. Lord, with my children, what pleases you? Well, you know what? There are some things my kids won't be a part of. Sorry. I mean, no, parenting is not a popularity contest. God, in my relationships, what's pleasing to you? In my sexuality, Lord, what's pleasing to you? And then God gives us the help of the Holy Spirit to do what pleases him. I'm not trying to please myself in this thing. I'm trying to please God. How do we know what's pleasing to God? It's in the book. Well, it's a big book. It's scary. It's complicated. It's difficult. No, just fall in love with the author. Man, the more I can love the author, the easier it is to live and learn what's in this book. Do you receive that today? Come on, put your hands together if you believe that.